and welcome to Is This Anime? I'm your anime expert, Jack Metcalf. And I'm the guy who doesn't know anything about anime, Malcolm Cloud. So for those of joining in, each week I select an anime series for Malcolm to watch and a number of episodes that best showcase that series' strength. And last week's anime was Mob Psycho 100. Malcolm, how was it? I loved it. I That might be one of my favorite shows we covered uh, during this entirety of the this podcast history. Uh, it was super funny. Characters were really well defined. And it was just a really, just a great show. I, it's, I think you were right when you said it was better than One Punch Man. I think it's a, actually, it's a hundred times better than One Punch Man. And I enjoyed One Punch Man. So one's a very talented uh, writer, artist, and I'm excited to see what he does next. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you got you and Lizzie enjoyed it that much because I was kind of worried, you know, anytime, especially I have a show that I like that much, I was like, oh, I wonder how you guys are going to feel about that. But no, uh, Mob Psycho 100 is awesome. Uh, I want to watch more Mob Psycho 100. Uh, we really hope that third season comes out. Maybe it'll be, be announced by the time this podcast comes out. So yeah, um, very, very good show. You guys should watch it and listen to that podcast if you haven't already. Fingers crossed for season three. Yeah, and today we are talking about the anime adaptation of one of my favorite video games, Mass Effect. So as always, it's been a while since we've done a uh, a history segment, and I've wrote up quite a history segment, that's for sure. So let's let's dive into it. Uh, so Mass Effect, it was created by the Edmonton, Alberta-based developer BioWare, and BioWare was founded in 1995 by two doctors, Greg Zestchuk and Ray Musiak. And Bioware's first game was a Mech Warrior inspired game called Shattered Steel. But it would be their second game, the Dungeons and Dragons based role playing game Baldur's Gate, which would define the studio's reputation. Uh, Malcolm, have you heard of Baldur's Gate 1 or 2? I didn't know. I haven't really heard of Baldur's Gate 1 or 2, but I did like see recently on Twitch it became very popular to play Baldur's Gate 3. Like that's sort of, sort of became yeah, a that's new coming out. hit game. I think it's in early access already because I've seen like, yeah, Twitch people play it. Even though yeah. I'm not that interested in fantasy games myself, it's just surprising that a third game for a series I didn't know anything about is this popular. And I mean, not to get too, too sidetracked, but that game, uh, Baldur's Gate 3, is being developed by Larian Studios, not Bioware. But, but as we'll talk about uh, with Bioware, we're going to talk about the rise and fall of the studio. Um, Larian is probably better better equipped to to handle Baldur's Gate 3, given, given their track record, at least. I didn't um, even know there was a new studio in charge of that. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, new studio, Larian. Uh, go go play Divinity Original Sin 2, folks. It's a, it's a really good uh, Western RPG. Baldur's Gate 1, it would define Bioware's reputation. It was critically acclaimed for its narrative, vast customization options, memorable party members, and high replayability because the player character was constantly given dialogue choices that could determine the course of the story. And Baldur's Gate ended up selling 2 million copies, which was an insane amount, especially for the somewhat niche at the time RPG genre. And the sequel, Baldur's Gate 2, was just as great as a success, and it matched the first game's copies. But it would be Bioware's next game that would truly put them on the map. And for, for me, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, they're a bit too archaic. I've, I've tried to play the remasters of them. It, it's, it's from a generation before. I mean, maybe some of our younger listeners wouldn't be able to play GameCube games or, or God forbid, even, even PS3 era games that might be difficult for them. Um, so, you know, some games before your time, it's just kind of hard to to play them. You know what I mean? Yeah, you kind of have like memories of the games, but then you're like, try to go back and it's like, oh, this is not what I remember. Like I have like distinct memories of playing like when I was a kid, 
too young, honestly, like uh, GTA Vice City and then GTA uh, Liberty City Stories. And like at the time playing those games, I was like, oh my God, this world is so, you know, visually like interesting and like I can really see everything and like I can't believe like what they've done in this game and like, oh wow, look at all these NPCs. And then going back to play it, uh, you go like, this game's garbage. Like you just like, it has like, you know, you can't go into the water. You can't like, you know, the NPCs aren't very well defined. You're like kind of blocky, but it's just kind of amazing. Like at the time you go like, oh wow, this world is so great. And then, you know, you go back later and you go, oh, this is how far video games have come since then. And that's like not that long ago. For sure. I think there's definitely some games that are, they're more dated than others. Um, but yeah, like I, and for me, uh, my, my favorite genre, the, the Japanese role-playing game, those games tend to age somewhat gracefully. Maybe not in the difficulty section. They're quite, they're quite older ones are quite a bit harder than, uh, than more modern ones with their array of difficulty options and autosave and all that. But I think like, especially 2d games, they tend to have aged better than 3d games in general. Cause a lot of that 2d sprite work for like super Nintendo games is really spectacular and has kind of a charm to it. Yeah. Like, I mean, those games are kind of, were designed. Oh yeah. Almost to like kind of outlive their generation. And, and they are super replayable. Like, I know people still, you know, play you know mario kart and like super smash bros and like that those games have barely changed in terms of their mechanics since like when they first came out like they're not that much different whereas like you know you try to like play a golden eye and you're like oh my god <laughs> all right rpgs have really come a long way yeah i mean gold golden eyes shooters are definitely a oh, very right. dated genre yeah i guess that's, shooters yeah, it's a shooter sorry i meant to say shooter <laughs> No worries. No, but I mean, Golden. Speaking of dated, like GoldenEye is like unplayable. It's I re, I respect the game, but yeah, it, it took a long time for shooter just the controls of shooters to kind of feel modernized. I think Halo was kind of the first true first person console shooter that people really could be like, oh, this is actually somewhat good. Yeah. Um, but we're not talking about Halo, uh, although there is a Halo anime. Maybe maybe we'll do that. Uh, we're gonna talk about a game called Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic, which came at the perfect time because. If you listen to our Star Wars podcast, we talk about how the Clone Wars and this game kind of came out at the, they came out during the midst of the prequel era. And um, I know some people now say the prequels are good. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit older and I, I don't like to put on nostalgia glasses. Um, so even though the Star Wars prequels were financially successful, the older Gen X crowd wasn't exactly having the best time with those movies. So when Bioware was given the option by LucasArts to create a Star Wars game, they were told they could set it in the prequel era, which would mean having to make it fit within what George Lucas was creating at the time or rewriting at the time because George Lucas um, was not a planner, uh, constantly changed his mind. A lot of people who have worked on games with Lucas have said uh, Lucas uh, is, is brilliant to work with, but he also doesn't understand video games. So, Yeah, uh, I mean, he's a filmmaker that, you know, comes from like the 60s, right? Like that's sort of you know, that's his era where it's like in filmmaking, it's so much easier to be like, ah, let's scrap this scene. Let's do something else. But like you do it in video games and it's like, well, you know, it's not going to take, you know, a hundred hours to like get this sequence going and we're going to have to play test it and, you know, motion caption it or, you know, do voiceovers. Like it's a way bigger process. And I don't envy like video game writers. I think they have some of the hardest jobs in like all of writing for entertainment. They were also given the other option to, to set it in the Old Republic era, which was set 4,000 years before the movies. And uh, given the game's title, Knights of the Old Republic, they chose to set it in the Old Republic era. And that gave them basically complete freedom to do whatever they wanted. 
the old republic era also had the benefit of being set in a world before the sith had that dumb rule of two tool rule of two bullshit um where basically there's only two sith allowed at any time i hate that rule i don't know why the disney star wars movies haven't changed that i think we all just want to see a star wars movie where it's like a thousand jedi fighting a, a thousand sith and uh that's where uh, the old republic era had in spades so Player characters had plenty of chances uh, to cross lightsabers with many a bad guy. But this being a Bioware game, the player character could also choose to be a Sith themselves. And Knights of the Old Republic featured plenty of good guy and sadistic options for the players to carry out. Uh, the game's voice acting and narrative received plenty of praise. And while the gameplay was still tied to the Ju Dungeons and Dragons style rule set, casual players could just as easily enjoy making their way through one of the best Star Wars narratives ever, especially considering where the movies were at. <laughs> And and where the movies continue to be, given, given many people's uh, critiques. I think video games, Star Wars video games, when they're good, they can be very satisfying for players. Well, I think that's like the underrated element of general is that like, you know, there, I think there's so many movie franchises where you're like, I want to get more involved in this world. And you like, you just can't like just, the you know, the medium of film or television, you know, has a barrier to it. Whereas when you go into a video game, you actually feel like you're in the world. And I can see how that's like really intriguing. And I know like, I don't know Star Wars that much. That was pretty obvious in the Star Wars episode, but I have heard about this game and how people have really petitioned that like, especially with Disney Plus making all these new like Star Wars TV shows and movies that this video game in particular should be revisited because people really love this like old republic era yeah i mean i'm i'm a big proponent of that i've been hoping the movies do that i mean we we, we have a disney plus show called um the acolyte that's set in the high republic era which is like 200 years before the movies but but yeah like why not like set in an era where you can basically do whatever you want i mean there there is still a star wars the old republic mmo that is continually updated um, so this era is still kind of it's canon until it isn't. Basically, if if they decide to do movies and the game will will not be canon or a TV show, then that would probably invalidate it. But for now, um, you can treat uh, Star Wars, the Old Republic games as as somewhat canon. Anyways, Knights of the Old Republic did receive a sequel, but Bioware didn't work on that. Instead, creating the Wuja inspired Jade Empire before moving on to the game we're talking about mass effect and uh listener mass effect is is one of my top three favorite video game franchises i've been very excited to talk about this uh this movie we're doing uh but before we get into the movie there's still quite a bit to discuss because mass effect it takes place in the year 2183 where the entire galaxy is threatened by an ancient race known as the reapers and the player assumes the role of commander shepherd who's the first team inspector which is which is kind of like a space cop space 007 and he has to stop a rogue agent named Saren who is also a Spectre, but uh, he's a Spectre who's broken bad, and he wants to summon the Reapers. Ma Malcolm, you've played the first Mass Effect, right? I did. It was a long time ago, and I remember chunks of it. I was reminded of stuff while watching this, but like in terms of details, they were very fuzzy, because I, I played the first one, and I played a little bit of the second one, but I just never caught, like kept going. Not to the way that you clearly have. Yeah, I've 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 played I've played the first game obviously the most times because it's the first and when you do a trilogy run you start with the first one of course, but yeah I've I've played probably the first game at least like sixteen times and and subsequently I've easily played two and three close to a dozen I'm not quite sure because I've also played on both Xbox three sixty and PlayStation three because when my PlayStation became my dominant mm -hmm. console I rebought the trilogy, uh, and Mass Effect uh, the Legendary Edition is a. Uh, 
going to be released on or around the the date of this podcast. So, dear listener, you should definitely uh, buy that because it's a ton of value for what it's worth. But anyways, Mass Effect, it started development in 2004, and it was envisioned from the very beginning as a trilogy with the highly ambitious idea that the player character would remain the same throughout the trilogy and their choices from one game would carry over to the next. Mass Effect's player character, Commander Shepard, was also fully voiced, which for a role-playing game at the time was unheard of given the amount of dialogue required for that. Because, like, I don't know, I guess Malcolm, you didn't play as many RPGs as me, but with something like Night's Old Republic, the player character wasn't voiced. You would just pick from however many op- dialogue options he had, but, you know, it would just be the other NPCs that would react. Yeah, I mean, that's a very, like, I play a lot of, you know, different games where, yeah, that's just what it is, where it's like you're the voiceless protagonist and, you, don't, you know, and people kind of operate around you. They're, like, always having, like, conversations as if you're responding, but you've never actually said anything. Yeah, and and clearly players never had an issue with it. I mean, it it was that kind of idea was a cool one, but I don't think, you know, players, I mean, Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas and and the even older Fallout games, of course, aren't fully voiced and players had plenty of fun with those. But yeah, the the issue is, of course, the amount of dialogue required for that because it's not just the NPCs reacting because sometimes NPCs can make the same response for the same dialogue option if they're trying to, they're trying to cut down a bit. Um, But obviously when you're doing a fully voiced protagonist, that is a ton of variables, a ton of voice acting. It's it's a huge endeavor. Um, well, you, well, it's essentially you become whoever they hire. And I mean, this is something you see now in a lot of modern games. I'm assuming this kind of broke ground for like what like Rockstar ended up doing with all of its games, whether it was, you know, back in you know the 2000s, whether that was Bully or, you know, GTA San Andreas or you could go further with like Red Dead Redemption or anything that Naughty Dog did where it's like, oh, these are like, yeah, these characters have stories and lives. And, you know, that's what makes it more intriguing instead of just being these passive, not necessarily passive, they're like active passive characters where it's like they're obviously actively moving towards goals, but they're passive in the sense that they like, there's no like, emo- sometimes it's you lose the emotion because they're just not responding. And yeah, again, it's one thing to do a Naughty Dog game where you're where it is a linear narrative and there might be optional dialogue sprinkled in like small areas if you go to them. But certainly for a game like Mass Effect or, or any RPG where you're given like dialogue options for just the player character, you can go a different million different ways. That was definitely an endeavor that was pretty insane. And it's it's an endeavor that I feel when like Fallout 4 adopted it, people were like, no, we want to go back to the old style because this actually can be limiting if not done properly. Yeah, you have to really cast the right person who can like play all the different sides to this character. Like in particular, for this one, it's Shepard. For these games, it's Shepard. But it's like, yeah, obviously, you know, whoever's voicing Shepard needs to like be able to do sarcastic Shepard and they needs to be doing like sad shepherd and like angry shepherd and happy shepherd and like all the for sure emotions that you can take yeah. from. Uh, so as a result mass effect actually somewhat limits the role-playing options which shepherd be more of a defined character than the blank slates of typical role-playing games of the time but it did lead to a far more cinematic experience and mass effect also didn't utilize the D- D style gameplay that was the bones of Baldur's gate and that's the old republic rather it was a third person squad based shooter at least on the surface. The, the first Mass Effect especially, it has many combat components tied to tr- traditional RPG mechanics, but to the casual consumer, it does look like a true cinematic third-person shooter. But more than anything, it was Mass Effect's world that was the most appealing thing. Not only did the game have more than 20,000 lines of spoken dialogue, there were hours of codex entries to read that would explain everything from the histories of alien races to planets to, to technologies and everything in between. The companions the player could recruit were also incredibly well-written, 
from the smart but naive Liara to the grizzled war veteran Rex. The six companions in the game each had their own backstories that the players could explore and even do the odd side quest or two, which could help influence where that character would end up in the trilogy. And of course, there was the morality system. Rather than have players simply navigate between good and evil, the morality system labels certain actions and tones as Paragon, which means that they go by the book and are more empathetic, or Renegade, which means they go Jack Bauer on people's asses. Commander Shepard can't necessarily side with the Reapers, but they can genocide a species or two. I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. You can, you can definitely eliminate entire species by the end of this trilogy. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. That's like, I'm not surprised by that at all. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend the player do that, at least on their first run. But if they are sadistic, they, they have that option. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I definitely like have done games where it's like you play it through again and you like, you know, the first like, especially like those like telltale, like choose your own adventure games. Like there's that definitely the first time you want to do it that good. And if I do replay it sometimes, yeah, I'm like, okay, what are all the bad options? What if I like, yeah, go like max dishonorable? Like, what does that do to the game? Usually I'm like not, that's not like my first choice, but when you're replaying it, it is fun to mix it up. For sure. And Mass Effect, it released on November 20th, 2007 for the Xbox 360 and eventually was released to PlayStation 3 later. And it received critical acclaim and sold well enough to ensure the trilogy would get made. A year later, thanks in part to the success of Mass Effect, Electronic Arts purchased Bioware. And this was seen as a good thing at the time. And many in the company did say it saved the studio. But the partnership between the two companies would not be without its troubles, as, as we'll get to it. In the meantime, Bioware launched another franchise with Dragon Age. Dragon Age Origins debuted in November 2009. And together with Mass Effect, Bioware had feet planted in both the realms of fantasy and science fiction. And of course, you know, they owned both properties and could do whatever they wanted with them. At this point, Bioware is on top of the world. They have a sci-fi RPG and a fantasy RPG. Like, what more could you want for an RPG studio? But back to Mass Effect. Mass Effect 2 launched in January 2010. And while it had its fair share of detractors, some people preferred kind of the more Star Trek-y tone of the first game. To many, this was a bigger and better sequel in every way. The game was darker and edgier, with the Commander Shepard forging an an uneasy alliance with the human supremacist group Cerberus, whose leader was voiced by Martin Sheen, of all people. in order to stop an evil alien race called the Collectors, who may or may not have ties to the Reapers. The stakes are incredibly high, with the final mission being literally referred to as the Suicide Mission. Mass Effect 2 also featured over double the amount of party members, with 13 total, two of whom were DLC. This was was back then when DLC, they really really liked to gouge you, and uh, they definitely gouged me. I bought the Collector's Edition of this game. Oh, yeah. I mean, they still gouge you with DLC stuff from time to time. With season passes, like, oh, man. I, I feel like get, making party members especially though is particularly egregious because like party members are so important. It's like, okay, I won't buy this DLC because it's a story I don't particularly care about, but like a party member, of course I want the fucking party member. Yeah, it's it's finding that balance. And then especially that was like the early day DLC. Like now you get like, yeah, season passes or like, you know, you can just go to like certain publishers like EA has Origin or like Ubisoft has like Connect or I think it's Uplay. Where it's like, in theory, like you can just like get uh, pay like a monthly subscription fee and you're unlocking everything. But yeah, that's it was different back then in the 2000s. Wild West. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so the open world space exploration of the previous game was simplified, but it did result in missions that while more scripted were also more exciting and cinematic. And the RPG mechanics were also simplified, leading to a more dynamic gameplay. And while four of Mass Effect's party members did not join Shepard on their journey, 
the 11 new cast members were just as, if not more memorable than the previous ones. And also that whole concept of players being able to import their choices from the previous game really got to be shown off. If players were forced to kill the badass Rex in Mass Effect 1, he doesn't get to become leader of his people in Mass Effect 2. Rather, his idiot brother takes over, for instance. And the choices in Mass Effect 2 in general were more engaging since the game added quick-time events known as interrupts, with one funny example being pushing a henchman out a window while he's giving a speech. And another example being, this would be a Paragon interrupt, uh, hugging a grieving person. So there's violent interrupts and more nice interrupts. You would press the left trigger to do a Paragon interrupt and the right trigger to do a Renegade interrupt. It was it was a really cool system which returned from Mass Effect 3. And also, if you thought the choices in Mass Effect 1 were a big deal, in Mass Effect 2, your entire party of companions can die in the final mission, or in some cases, even before. Uh, the suicide mission certainly delivers on its namesake. And uh, I, I famously, maybe not famously, but I proudly uh, got all my companions to survive the suicide mission on my first run. I'm very proud of myself. I made all the right choices. Uh, congratulations. It's tough, man. I mean, when you play the game, you might not be so lucky, man. Uh, I, I, I hope you treat your companions well. I hope you understand them because the suicide mission is really cool because it's like, again, it's like, where do I assign this character to it? Do I make this person the point man or do I make them the tech guy? It's, it's a really fun final mission. And I think it's definitely why Mass Effect 2 is the most critically acclaimed of the trilogy because it does nail that finale so well. Uh, with such a strong sequel and a killer ending to boot, there was no way Mass Effect could have its momentum halted, right? Uh, Malcolm, uh, do you know anything about Mass Effect 3's controversy or just how it's viewed in, as a general person? Uh, yeah, like I've, I've heard of it a little bit. Um, you know, I've got you know, I've some friends who are very big into video game and video game news. So I know it was like a huge disappointment. Like people really, really were disappointed by Mass Effect 3. Yeah, it, it was a controversial game uh, on the, the ending in particular. It was it was controversial on the scale of the ending to Lost and The Last Jedi, I would argue. It was definitely, it was, I mean, Lost had ended two years before. I like the ending to The Lost. Sorry, folks. Um, I'm also think, a fan of The Lost ending. It makes the, the most sense for what they had. I, I think, to be fair, the creators of that show did shit the bed when it came to, like, uh, mythology revelations, but I, I think Lost does get a, a bit of a bad rap still. I think, yeah. I think thanks to shows like Game of Thrones, I think now people are like, actually, you know what? Lost wasn't that bad. No, I mean, the, Lost paved the way for this event series that we like had never seen before up to that point. Like that was like an event every week going in and watching an episode of Lost. You're like, what's going to happen next? And they didn't have the benefit of like being on a streamer or being on like HBO where they could like take their time and be like, yeah, we're going to take two years off between seasons. It was like, nope, we're on network television, and we and they're asking us to do 22 of these. Yeah, and and I mean, Lost famously, of course, negotiated an end date uh, three years into its run. So Lost, Lost did like a lot of things that, especially in network television, were unheard of. And now negotiating end dates definitely seems to be something uh, more shows do. Uh, but this is not the Lost podcast. Uh, I'm just using that as a frame of reference for how controversial this ending was. And certainly our, our younger listeners will, depending on their tastes, uh, they may not be fans of The Last Jedi. I, I hope they forgive me for my defense of that on the Star Wars episode. But yeah, Mass Effect 3 had a rather controversial ending. And uh, here's kind of what went down. EA's influence on Bioware became incredibly noticeable during this period with both Dragon Age 2 and Mass Effect 3 having just two years in development. Actually, Dragon Age 2 only had uh, a year and a half. Dragon Age 2 is a very condensed game, especially compared to the first one. And Mass Effect 3, despite being the trilogy ender, which should have 
at least had three years in development, had just barely over two. And it came out in March 2012. So like literally two years and two months after uh, Mass Effect 2. And the short development time really shows uh, one party member had to be cut from the game and relegated to DLC, resulting in story changes to make his character less essential so as not to break the game without his involvement. Dialogue options were more limited. In the first two Mass Effects, you're typically given three dialogue options at each prompt. This game is simplified to just two mostly. And also the ending to the game came across as half-baked to many people, with players simply picking one of three options to determine their ending rather than the complicated flow chart that fans were clamoring for. And though Mass Effect 3 has many storyline changes that change based on choices made in the previous games, the fact that those final 10 minutes were so weak soured many fans and YouTubers, and it led to petitions to change the game's ending. We've listened, man, we've talked about release the Snyder Cut and, you know, make The Last Jedi not canon. I think Bioware, the choice that Bioware made, and I'll talk about that in a sec, they, they had their hearts in the right place, but uh, there would be a chain reaction that I think was very negative overall. <laughs> Because people did get what they wanted. Bioware announced that they would come out with free DLC that would enhance the ending, and it was referred to as the extended cut. The ending indeed reflects the player's choices better, and it is a nice epilogue to the game. But yeah, the effects of a company directly asquiescing to fan demands would have a ripple throughout fandom for years to come. And not necessarily for the better, because uh, you would expect fans to just be like, hey, thank you. Uh, and sometimes the response is, thank you, I want more. Uh, Malcolm, what do, you, what do you think about companies uh, asquiescing to demands of the fandom? I think it's it's a double-edged sword because, like, on one end, you know, I think I can respect it, especially, if, like, it, like obviously with Mass Effect 3, it was fairly clear that there was a lot of corporate, like, meddling that, like, resulted in, like, a poor game. And, like, you know, I think there is that, you know, saying with just, like, executives don't really know what they're doing. Uh, even though they think they are, they do. And it's, you know, that was very clear with Mass Effect 3. But on the other side, it's like, if you have a strong creative vision, like if you're a creator, I, I do like when like you push back on it. But yeah, it's, a, it's just a real give and take. Like in some ways it is great to do fan service. Like it's, you know, you know, I th you see it in like Marvel films now. There's definitely, a, you know, hints of fan service. But then they're also not giving you what you want at the same time and kind of surprising too. So it's a double edged sword. And like there there was a recent interview series with uh, Bioware developers regarding the ending. Apparently, like just the two main producers, Casey Hudson and Mac Walters, basically locked themselves in a room to come up with the ending. And other developers didn't feel like they were being really asked also, there, there was a famous behind the scenes thing where, which basically said the ending was, it was basically written, the ending was written on a, a napkin during a, a drunken beer sesh at a bar, basically. I know that was probably just a fake story he told to, to make it sound funny. But again, like you could kind of tell the ending was pretty rushed. And like the game came out in March, 2012. Apparently they didn't have an ending until like November of 2011. So it was definitely a rush job for sure. And I don't think the ending, I think the ending is solid. I'll defend it to an extent, but you know, it, it sure could have been better. And I think the extended cut is definitely more what people were looking for. And developers have said it was the right call, they believe, at, le yeah. at least on their part. That's why development is so important. Like let, you know, you need time to develop these things. You know, like it's going to, you know, sometimes it's going to take years to like yeah. figure this out. Like it's always and like, you can always tell when something has a plan and then when something doesn't have a plan. You know, and for most of the, you know, sometimes people can get away without a plan, like Lost. It was a show where it was fairly clear that, like, you know, there's all these J.J. Abrams mystery boxes, and they didn't really know what was inside any of the boxes. 
but they somehow managed to pull it off on some level. And that might just be the brilliance of like Damon Lindelof, Carlton Cuse teaming up and like the Carlton Cuse's relatability in storytelling. But like on the other side of it, you've got, you know, other like Westworld where you're like, you guys have no idea what you're doing with Westworld. Like Ten and what you know that. And Westworld movie. was also a show. Westworld was also a show where they um not not to interrupt. Sorry, Westworld was also a show where they said we changed things we planned based because Reddit theories were picking them up. And it's like, no, just follow through. Just follow through. Don't if they outsmart you, just just tell the fucking story. Um, yeah, that's the thing. These are stories, and it's like you don't need to try to be a step ahead of the audience. Sometimes the audience needs to be a step ahead of you. It's about where, figuring out when to accelerate and when to slow down. And, you know, and maybe Westworld would have been better if Michael Crichton was still alive and was overseeing it. Because that was a wasted show, like a potential. I know it's they're probably doing another season, but I was so excited for that show. On a side note, it, this is it, now it, the Westworld it, podcast. Um, I've, I've, wa- I've watched all three seasons and I every single time I'm like, maybe this will be good. And then it always disappoints by the end of it. <laughs> it's yeah. very consistent it's like it always starts strong i'm like oh sweet aaron paul's in it and they do fuck all with his character it's, um it's a sad day when i have to say that jonathan nolan's best tv show was on cbs and it was person of interest and person of interest might even have some ideas present in mass effect but but we're not going to get into that so yeah it was a controversial thing the, the mass effect 3 ending controversy definitely colored the entire franchise and even though the game did receive high critical praise and great sales the controversy would haunt that franchise seemingly forever. And the next Mass Effect, Mass Effect Andromeda, was also plagued with development issues, which despite coming out five years after Mass Effect 3, was only in full development for a year and a half, with an extended pre-production phase taking up the bulk of the development time. Critics gave it mailing reviews with a 71 Metacritic average, which for a AAA game is basically an F or a D. <laughs> if you're a AAA game and you're getting 71 on Metacritic, I know that's technically like a C, but... Uh, not not with the money they're spending, man. They don't want that. No, you don't spend, you know, 100 million plus and then you get a 70%. Especially when like the average, like pe- people always joke, like I- IGN's average starts at an eight. Like that's where their scale st- starts at. The, the YouTube community, which had only gotten bigger since Mass Effect 3, had ravaged Mass Effect Andromeda for its bugs and subpar graphics. And though Mass Effect Andromeda was meant to kickstart a whole new universe with the game being set in a different galaxy so as to avoid the ending issues from Mass Effect 3, it would end up being the death knell for the franchise. BioWare also hasn't had it easy since Mass Effect Andromeda. Their follow-up game Anthem flopped. I paid $80 for Anthem because I'm a BioWare stan. Oh man, what a waste. But it was a cool Iron Man simulator. I, I, I made it to max level. And they're now hard at work at Dragon Age 4, which is looking at a 2022 release date. And the next Mass Effect had a trailer premiering in 2020 at the Game Awards. But insiders say the game is very far away with primary development not expected to start until Dragon Age 4's release. Bioware had a lot of development troubles because they were splitting their studios across different games. I guess EA wanted them to deliver more products. It led to a lot of issues. Also, the whole Frostbite engine, which fucked up basically every single one of their games since it was not designed for RPGs at all. Um, so now Bioware, they're, they're pulling a rock star. They're just going to be making one game at a time. So I, listen, man, I'm so excited for the next Mass Effect, Mass Effect next, whatever they call it. Uh, there seem to be some teasers that, that some fan favorite characters are going to be returning, but also that trailer was just a CGI bullshit. <laughs> I know they're, I know they say they've got developers who are like from the original Mass Effect team working on it, but I'm just like, all right, guys, you, let's, let's see how Dragon Age 4 is first before I get excited. <laughs> 
tough. It's tough times, man. It's tough times to be a Bioware fan. They were on top of the world. Dragon Age Inquisition won Game of the Year awards, and then Witcher Three took its luster. But man, it's been a it's been a hard road for for one of the best RPG studios. Yeah, they see they just lost their footing altogether. The movie that we watched for this. Episode. Yeah, let, let's talk about this. So Mass Effect Paragon Lost. I thought it came out around the same time as Mass Effect Three. Um, the video game, but it actually came out in November of 2012, not March. And this was intended, this is kind of a mid-cool. It's set in between Mass Effect 2 and 3. It's centered across the character James Vega, who is a party member in Mass Effect 3. Let's get into this, because we already talked extensively about Bioware. I, I hope you anime fans really enjoyed this uh, this podcast about Bioware Studios. Let's get into the introduction, because I was expecting at least some form of a primer for people who are, who are not familiar with Mass Effect, something that would explain the universe. And uh, we don't get that at all. No, this, we this one, this drops you in and it, it's almost like, fuck you. If you're not a fan of this, why are you watching this? Like, this is only for the real ones, which I am not a real one. Now, I do remember vaguely like Vega and stuff like that was there was familiarity there. But like this one was, oh boy. Like, I mean, within the first, like, let's be real. And within the first five minutes of this movie, a sexual assault is committed. Like sexual I, assault. I wrote that down. Essex, Essex, not a good guy. Uh, yeah, Essex uh, grabs the ass of a female colleague. Uh, she obviously uh, rejects his advances. And he like plays it off. He's like, what the fuck, bitch? Like, that's the tone of like the rejection. And like, and no one like steps in to like help her out. They're just sort of like watching. They're like, ah, oh, XX, you do dirty dog. Oh, this is like very indicative of like, of just like how far we've come, but also just like, oh, this is like another thing that we've covered on this podcast, which where a lead character just, you know, commits a sexual assault or, or should be like canceled. It's it definitely Essex should be canceled, but you know what? He kind of does get canceled based on based on how this movie ends. Yeah, let's um, just I'll be honest. Like I'm just gonna I think I'll just jump into this part. I was I was happy Essex died. They tried to play it off as this really heroic moment, but I was like, fuck you, Essex. And like and I was like, you deserve this. <laughs> like, because he like gets stabbed by like a bug creature. Yeah, the collectors. The collect one of the collectors manages to like st stay alive. Which he should have instantly died, just based on because he was a human. He should have instantly died. Somehow he's alive, has the strength to like take out that guy, and then they fall into like I don't know some sort of pit. And yeah, they play it off. It's like they're like, no, Essex, no. And then and as he's like dying, and he and it was just like, nah, this guy, this guy probably deserved it. Yeah. Oh, Essex. I mean, I I was a bit nicer in my later notes for Essex than you, but yeah, it's very it's very 2012. Also, I I do want to note that even though. This is an anime adaptation. This is only anime in style. In terms of writing team, it was written by uh, Henry Gilroy, um, who's best known for co-writing the uh, animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars, which is the, the modern Clone Wars incarnation. He's got a huge background in American animation. I, I see credits for Batman the Animated Series, various Ninja Turtles cartoons, Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon, Avengers Assemble. Uh, so he's done a lot. He's, he's he's an animation guy, but of course, very American. Yeah, like I would say that this has no Japanese connections. Like there's no... The, the Japanese like... connection is the animation studio. Um, and it was produced by Production IG. Okay, so so yeah, there's a visual language to it. Yeah, I can see like that, but there's 
there's no like creative like in terms of like writing for sure and it's also an adaptation also should be noted mass effect is a canadian franchise so this is a canadian franchise adapted by an american uh animated by a japanese studio it also (laughs) took me a little bit to realize that freddie prince jr is the it voices Vega. Like it took me a second because I was like, I kind of recognize this. How do I recognize it? And then afterwards, when I finished watching it, I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's uh, it's Freddie Prince Jr. Who like is a guy I've always liked as an actor. I, I know he like went off to do like WWE stuff, but he was a great Fred in the Scooby-Doo movies, like the live action Scooby-Doo. And like, he's always been like pretty good at anything he's done. So... He's a big video game fan. He he again. He's he's reprising his role as James Vega in uh, the Mass Effect Three game or whatever. Because this is again, this is a tie-in. But also, um, he he played a character in what call it? He plays a, a character in Dragon Age Inquisition, the Iron Bull. So yeah, he he just likes video games and he likes working with Bioware. Clearly, yeah, because like there, I noticed like in other kind of tie-in movies that are like this. A lot of times they don't even get the same voice actor to come in. Like, they they just, like <laughs> they especially don't like a, characters. Like I mean, yeah, but like if there's a, a pseudo or like a celebrity, like probably at like Freddie Prince Jr.'s level or a little below it, a lot of times they just don't show up for this. And so I respect the hell out of the fact that Freddie Prince Jr. did show up and was committed and like has seen this through. I'm like, it's a first of all, it's a, not a very hard job to like going to that recording studio for probably what two weeks maybe and record all these lines and to get this movie done like it's not you know it's not that hard you get to collect a paycheck and it's good fan service if this is done right which i'm not sure if it's done right but i'm gonna i feel like get you have to that. On that we'll get to that um but yeah i mean again it, it made sense for him to come back because this whole movie is a prequel to his character's arc in mass effect 3 in mass effect 3 he references these events and uh, again, like but when I watched this movie, I was like, oh, now I get where his character is coming from. Essex, you're not a fan of him. Uh, bad, bad man. But he does have cool powers because he's a biotic. So he can do he can use the force, basically. I liked his action scenes. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like there was a there was like a chunk of this movie that I found very boring. Like I was just kind of bored throughout it. and ma- And I feel like some of it was maybe just me like, not necessarily picking up on all the action that some of these characters were doing. They, they kind of melded together at a certain point, like outside of Vega and the blue girl. And then unfortunately Essex, like some of these guys didn't really stand out. I mean, there was the guy with the glasses. I um, liked him. Uh, his name was, uh, his name was, I think it was Nikki. Nikki. I like Nikki. Yeah. I like, I like Nikki. Nikki. And then there was the guy with the sniper who was always in the back. Milk. Was, milk is his name. Milk. Oh, that's why I liked him. Um, uh, there was milk. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, one thing, again, we're, we're kind of talking more broadly right now, but I, the fact that, like, most of the crew members in this, I get that, like, the character is an Alliance Marine, so, which means he's hu- it's human-based, but the Mass Effect universe has all these various alien species. And I guess going into this movie, I had not seen this movie before watching it for this podcast, uh, I was expecting a more diverse squad in terms of just like alien races, because there are some really cool aliens that just don't even get to be animated in this movie, which I thought was a real bummer. A very distinct lack of aliens. Like that was the one thing I remembered from playing Mass Effect 1 is that, yeah, you have all these different alien races. And in this one, it was just like, are they trying to be Star Wars? But yeah, it was just a weird, it was kind of a weird choice. Like, I'll be honest. I was like, oh, I guess they're 
just trying to do some sort of war, but yeah, it again, I think that's kind of the, the direction in Mass Effect 2 and 3 definitely becomes more Starship Troopers than say Star Trek, which is the first game. And uh, this movie definitely follows through on that kind of tone, which again, I, th- I don't really care much about the military stuff in Mass Effect. I like the cool alien races and the cool mysteries. Uh, so yeah, I did find this like first. The first 20 minutes of this movie are basically just like a kind of prologue mission where we get to see the squad. They take down um, the Krogan blood pack. And, you know, some people, some people live, some people die. But this mission is kind of like a cold open to to get to make you get to know the squad. And um, I found the squad likable. I liked uh, I like Camille. She was cool. Uh, Nikki, I liked again, Essex, bad person, uh, creepy dude, but he's got cool powers. But yeah, I think for me, again, like my whole thing is I like Mass Effect for the aliens. And I would have hoped for a more Dirty Dozen style movie or, you know, which is basically what Mass Effect 2 is, where it's like a, a, a diverse group of aliens coming together to to fight a common foe. Because that's just cool, man. Mass Effect yeah. has cool aliens. I mean, for me, I'm a big sucker for like those men on a mission war films, like like the Dirty Dozen where Eagles Dare, Inglorious Bastards, like those kinds of movies. I don't feel like they make enough of. And yeah, it would have been probably better and more interesting had they gone down that route. But instead, yeah, it, it's a very, this is very safe. Like probably too safe to the point of like it being like just bland. And like, I mean, the opening is, there's like this, yeah, kind of crazy because yeah, they're fighting these blood pack, blood oath warriors. I forget. The, the blood pack. They're, they're a, I'm going to get real nerdy here. They're primarily like Krogan and Krogan are these kind of like frog, kind of frogish dudes. Big ass dudes. I love the fucking Krogan. Uh, they're really cool. They're they're my favorite race in Mass Effect, especially with yeah. the story arc they get, which you kind of say shades of this in the movie, like very light shades. But the Krogan, they're mostly assholes, but there are some good ones. And and the race's redemption in Mass Effect, the potential redemption, because you, you can make choices. Um, their potential redemption is one of my favorite arcs in the whole series. So they're cool, but... Yeah, like we, we get a big fight with them and these assholes called the Batarians who are like these four-eyed freaks and like these like war dog dudes. I thought, but yeah, I, I found this opening action sequence. I was like, I'm not sure if this movie is going to be good. Well, I was going to say, I, there's two moments in the opening that I kind of funny, um, okay. almost in a bad way. Uh, one was, yeah, the, uh, I guess the Krogan leader, the one they end up capturing, going to up to multiple people and being like, are you ready to meet God? <laughs> like, and then killing them or like about to kill them. I don't know why, but it's like, I just, I'm just imagining that on a, like an actual battlefield is both kind of horrifying, but the way it's played out, like it's kind of horrifying in like in thought, but how it's played out is like kind of like uh, not so serious. And then also they like, there's like the injured captain, um who we don't see after this prologue i don't think i forget who it is i think it was it vega or someone like apparently has an injury that needs to be reset and so they reset it on the battlefield and then he screams so loud that it like ruins their location and i was like wasn't he like he was like biting down on something and yet he screams as if he like has nothing in his mouth uh i wrote a note captain tony his is his name and he called them virgins so i did like that the virgin as a slur returned in this movie Oh, yeah, that's the other thing I was going to say. Yeah, he was like, hey, he says the virgin line like moments after the sexual assault takes place. You're like, these people are not <laughs> virgins. And they never seemed like there was no, they never seemed to be like these like sexless like grunts. It's like, no, a sexual assault took place 
moments before you walked in. And then instead of being like, hey, did something go down? You're like, what's up, you fucking virgins? (laughs) Like, that's crazy. I can't believe that, like, those two moments were, like, back-to-back in such, like, within 30 seconds of each other. 2012, what a year. So Harvey Weinstein and Louis C.K., they were just, you know, know, they were just existing. Louis C.K. was winning Emmys for Louis, and Harvey Weinstein was about to collect... Making movies, making the pictures. He was about to collect an Oscar for the artist. This shit got dark, fuck. Um, (laughs) Bad people, bad people. The the Mass Effect uh, universe is not very progressive. Uh, Clearly, clearly those social changes did not happen in this version of 2183 or whatever. Well, there's like a whole thing later on with like, there's the blue girl. What's her name? Ty... Tria, 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 Tria. We're like, like, Vega keeps touching her, or like other people keep touching her, and then she's like, "Stop it!" And like, and it's like it happens again and again. Although, like, it's implied that Vega has like actual romantic feelings for her, and that they maybe are returned. It's not really, but but kind of like at, at the end, it's like, oh, maybe we'll definitely she get does. to the end. And then the other note I really did like um, before we kind of move on from the prologue, just in the interest of time, is uh, the fact that they reference Commander Shepard being dead. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, Commander, spoiler alert for the first five minutes of Mass Effect 2, um, your character does die, but he is then resuscitated uh, like a year later, uh, thanks to magic technology. So I like the fact that they reference like, oh, yeah, in this present timeline, uh, Commander Shepard is dead. And it's also just cool as the player. You're like, oh, they're talking about me. Yeah, that's true. Like, and they... And I forgot, I forgot about that. Or I didn't really know that. If he's not dead, like, then he would have been in this movie. And it, like, kind of doesn't make sense to have him here. Well, yeah, no, I mean, he's he's too busy. Commander Shepard is too busy doing the game stuff. <laughs> he's that That's his all shit. Um, and also, he's, like, a, a character who the players define. So, of course, they don't want players to be like, oh, that's not what my Commander Shepard would say. Anyways, yeah, we get this mission. Uh, they do succeed. They They pull some cool stuff. And then... I guess there's a time jump, although I didn't realize it until like 50 minutes into the movie where it said two years had passed. Yeah, I, I didn't even re- piece that together. Actually, I feel like I missed that. But it makes sense because like it is just like random battle. And like when they do return, although there, I do remember there was a time jump. But yeah, when they do return, it's like clear that Cap, you know, Captain Nikki's healed. The one woman who was unfortunately sexually assaulted as a like, trigger warning. This, this is a trigger warning heavy episode. She has a boyfriend now. Although Essex is still a fucking dirtbag two years later. Oh, the the other thing, too, I liked at the end of the mission, uh, the the opening mission was that um, Commander Captain Anderson and Admiral Hackett, who are from the video games, they do appear, uh, but they are not voiced by Keith David and Lance Henriksen, unfortunately. This is only Freddie Prince Jr. of the video game characters is... Uh, in this movie. Yeah, what the fuck's Lance Hendrickson doing? Like, yeah, like, like at this time uh, in his career, I'm pretty confident he was just doing, like, straight-to-DVD, like, action films. I'm like, you you could have clearly just gone in for, like, two, like, for a week and done voiceover. Same with Keith David, unfortunately. I mean, now, I think Keith, Keith David... Keith David, I feel, is like, I don't want to say he's cheap, but I feel like Keith David could have stepped in the booth for, for two lines, yeah. however many lines he has. He seems like the, one of those guys who's, like usually would do it maybe he like had a television show or something uh that you know there was a scheduling conflict 
maybe but, Freddie Prince Jr. just took up all that money because uh, the rest of the voice actors in this film are are the Funimation in-house team. Basically, it's like the whole the whole Funimation um, theater troupe, effectively. Yeah, I guess that's I didn't know that, but I, I looked it up, and I mean Funimation handled the dubbing and distribution of this. So yeah, it's just all a bunch of Funimation regulars in this flick doing all the voices. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how it is. If you've listened, I mean you've you've listened to some Funimation dubs at this point, so there, there's been some players who have returned throughout. But yeah, this this location they're on is called Fell Prime. And now two years later, Fell Prime has recovered and they've got like this anti-ship cannon and military grade uh, kinetic barriers. Unfortunately, um, some some baddies show up. But I do like how Tria, she's talking to uh, another video game character, the last of the video game character cameos, uh, Liara Tassoni, who is also unfortunately not voiced by the same actress as the video game. Liara is a party member in, in the Mass Effect trilogy, so she's talking to her. And I like how um, they refer to Liara as a conspiracy theorist, which I'm like, oh, that's cool to have like other characters. Again, when you're playing the video game, you know everything Liara says is right. So it's cool to have like an outside opinion where it's like, oh no, we think that bitch is whack, basically. I like that line. I'm like, oh, it's, I, I like seeing other people's perspective of characters who we know from the video games. I thought that was kind of kind of neat. She also talks about Saren because she talks about a rogue agent. That's referring to Saren, the, the baddie from the first video game. So I, I like that stuff. I like that stuff with Liara. I'm like, oh, I recognize all that. Yeah, it's that fan service element that like for me... As someone who hasn't, you know, engaged with this kind of universe for for almost 10 years, if not a little longer, you know, it kind of flies over my head. But if you're engaged like you are, you're going to, you know, get some more extra like Easter egg fulfillment from it. Sure. And I did like the line, uh, talking, talking starships do not eat space mechanics, but they actually do. If you play the Mass Effect video game, you'll learn that. Ah. Um, also, um, Essex is a bit racist because when like when um, James Vega is like with uh, Tria and like kind of holding her and stuff, Essex is not a fan of blue people. He's kind of just like, oh, what is he? Who's into that? I'm like, well, she's she's a beautiful blue girl, bro. Everyone's into the Asari. So Essex is racist as well. Yeah, as well. He's the real villain of this. <laughs> He's the one guy where you're like. Can we pop him? Can we just pop him quickly before he ruins this mission? So anyways, the, the planet, it seems peaceful. Um, Vega is friends with this uh, little girl named April and her mom. Of course, uh, things things do not go as planned because these evil aliens called the Collectors, the Collectors being the villains from Mass Effect 2, show up. And uh, I, I gotta say, I was I was happy with how scary they made the Collectors seem in this movie. They seem fucking terrifying in my opinion yeah i mean it's weird because like the name collector doesn't necessarily instill fear right you're like the collector like that's like a b-tier villain for the flash almost yeah so going back to the movie yeah there's these ones yeah they have these like this terrifying like they're kind of are they bees like they kind of have like a quality of like a sort of wasp bees or they have like they control these kind of animals that are you know, that paralyzed people. Yeah, they, they've got, again, insects are gross. Uh, sorry, insect lovers. My my aunt is an entomologist, but uh, I generally feel insects are pretty freaky. And yeah, they, they've got this waspy feel. They like take people into like their weird hives. Um, and also one of them um, has like this laser that just straight up disintegrates people. Because um, let's talk about this because un- I was kind of surprised by who was the first casualty of our of our crew. And that was Camille, who was a badass. She was like in in the uh, opening mission. She was like, again, she was assaulted by by Essex, and uh, sadly, the the sexual assault victim um, 
is the first one to to get knocked yeah. out in this movie. Not a strong writing choice. No, no. And and of of the survivors, it's the most bland. I mean, spoiler alert: the most bland guy, Milk, of all people, was the one to survive. And I was kind of surprised that Milk was was the survivor. I was I was thinking Nikki, Nikki or Camille. Turns out I was wrong about like all all yeah, the survival. I think Camille deserved to live the most. But I guess, yeah, Nikki was kind of the follow-up for me. I was like, yeah, he's kind of the young guy. He's a little naive. He's got his he's glasses. Got tech powers. He's got tech powers, which were cool. Uh, but no, he's he's sniped at some point. But... Yeah, yeah, man. So, oh, yeah. God. I, yeah, if it's, yeah, Camille dies first. And the, the Mason, thing is, is, is that these Mason gets killed. Yeah, oh. he also gets it. I will say with these deaths, I never, like, I didn't have much emotional connection to anyone. So like, I never like felt super sad that anyone died. Like there was no, like, I know they played off like more emotional there, except for the ending and like what happens there. That was the only point where I was like, holy fuck. But uh, yeah, the the ending to this movie uh, definitely um, surprised me because again, most of this film is pretty, generic it, it 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 feels very direct to dvd until the very end really when i was like oh they actually made a fucking choice um, yeah the ending is like the best part of the movie but it's like in some ways it's like it doesn't deserve to have that ending if you know what i mean i hear you so so just more plotty stuff yeah we're uh there's also a a um a Cerberus agent. So, so for those not in the know Cerberus and i like that they call Cerberus out Cerberus is a human supremacist group uh, they don't like aliens. They're they're very anti-aliens, and they basically want humanity on top and everyone at the bottom. And there's this agent named Mesner, uh, voiced by uh, disgraced voice actor Vic Mignogna. I always like it when Vic Mignogna, who who was was forced out due to some Me Too stuff, basically. Um, it's always funny when he plays dirt bakes because I'm like, oh, he was just playing himself. I think we've talked about him before. We've probably. talked about him because he because. For a lot of fucking Funimation shows until basically anything after the past year, he's in all of them. <laughs> That's the issue. He he had a very good run from like 2000 to 2019. Yeah, uh, I mean, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, this human supremacist Mesner um, is basically like he's trying to play it up. He's like, listen, you guys need me, even though he's also like hacking. And we also later find out he's actually working with the collectors because uh, Cerberus, they're just a bunch of assholes, guys. Cerberus fucking sucks. Initially, this guy was gonna be was my pick. Was gonna be my pick for the speed wagon. Though it, like I his design, he had a speed wagon worthy design. Um, yeah, I he did... was wearing like a Hawaiian shirt. He had shades on. You're like, what's this guy doing here? Like, he's just very casual. Like, I was hoping that he would be like, yeah, this like almost like casual like hacker dude who's like comedic relief. But nope, no, no, no. He's no, the, he's he's a space uh, racist. Evil. He's very evil, voiced by a bad man. Although Vic Mignogna, you know, he 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 does a he does a solid voice job because I still like his character somewhat. Oh man, he's a jerk. So in the midst of you know our squad, they're they're all getting knocked out. Camille, she gets taken over by a collector, and I thought they were gonna like save her, but um, nope, they they don't. She she that's a full on death. And then while she's like in a collector body, she kills her. Her new boyfriend Mason, brutal stuff all around, and Mason just gets straight up disintegrated. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah, no, he's he's got a brutal death. Also, he's like the only black character. Yeah, and he, and oh, this and movie, he's dead, <laughs> and he's dead like pretty quick. Like he shows up, like he does. He's not in the prequel part. 
of, no. the, of the movie. He shows up as her boyfriend and then, yeah, dies soon thereafter. So, like I said, not the most, not even progressive. It's just not the most, it's just like, it's very reliant on those like 2000, you know, tropes up until recently of like, this person dies and then that person dies. So, so Essex, he also was paralyzed during this whole thing, but thankfully uh, they have the antidote. Um, they're very forgiving of Essex's uh, past transgressions because they all want to save him. Essex does come in the clutch um, when they, when they're trying to fight off uh, the possessed Camille who also takes down um, Nikki RIP. Essex comes in with his biotic powers and uh, fucks. Cam- oh God. I just realized what happened. Essex just killed the woman who he sexually assaulted. i know she was already pretty much dead but still he's still the one to do her in good god man that's fucking oh man i didn't even think about that until you just said it out loud i I thought about it when i was like saying it i'm like oh god yeah you can't see it uh but like you can't can't unsee it jack's face as he pieced it together just now was pretty priceless This movie, but you know what, Essex, I gotta say, man, you're you're. I like biotic powers. I play. I like playing as a biotic, or also as a vanguard, because in Mass Effect, you can play as a vanguard who combines shotgun skills with uh, biotic powers. You can like charge into people and fuck people up. I like Essex's powers, and he gets. He, I think the the action scenes with Essex are top tier. Also, in the midst of this whole thing, they free um the Krogan second in command from the first mission, because uh, this guy named Brood. You know what? He, he's a good dude. He's like, hey, guys, you beat me. You captured me. And you know what? I'm going to help you guys out. I really like Brood. I'm I'm glad Brood delivered. He makes the right moral choices. And then Brood gets killed by the space racist. Yeah, he's done. He's done in by Mesner. That's his name as well. Mesner. Kind of a random name. He's like, what's your name? Mesner. You're like, OK. This movie's yeah. got some stuff. But I, there's I also was... like, like the one thing that was surprising. So like later on. We keep seeing this like child and then her mother that Vega's interacted with a couple of times. And like she's, uh, and I was like, not sure if like she like it was something to do with Mass Effect in the, in the games or if it's just like, oh, we just wanted to have this kid character. No, it's just a kid character. It doesn't tie in with anything. Okay. Cause yeah, they, um, Vega seems to have like this bond with this little, this girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, why? This is like kind of a random, like, out of nowhere like bond yeah and, and i mean so it we, pays off in the end based it does on what pay happens off in the end in the end but it's uh but at the time when it's being set up for that ending you're like what's going on like why is who why is this kid now in the middle of this like we've now watched several violent deaths there's been several like war scenes a lot of battles and it's like this child just shows up with her mom. So anyway, space racist, he 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 has a tria and they find this like Prothean artif- artifact basically. And uh, we could talk about this, um, but I don't because it's honestly like this whole thing. I just wrote, wow, this really spoiled the shit out of Mass Effect for people who uh, who have not played Mass Effect. Um, this whole thing with like the artifact basically spoils a lot of p- plot revelations from Mass Effect 2 and 3. Which I get it. It's for, this movie is for fans who have probably played those games, but I'm just like, wow, this goes into spoiler territory. So, guys, uh, listener, I want you to play the Mass Effect game. I want you to enjoy the revelations of that game. So, um, we'll just say Mesner forced uh, Tria to do some shit, and she learned some shit. Although they kind of kill him for no reason, or like they shoot the one uh, artifact for like no particular reason. They're just like, our orders are to like to neutralize the threat. We can't care about artifacts. So it's like. You didn't have to do that. Like, there was enough time. It wasn't like time was, like, urgently being burned. 
But yeah, yeah Mesmer... I mean, I think there, there's enough that kind of goes over people's heads. Like, I will say you talking about this now, I didn't like fully piece it together until afterwards where I was like, oh yeah, I can see what you're talking about. Because again, it's been a long time since I've like digested this world. It's definitely fan service. Like, I think again, this is, I think a lot of the choices made here are fan service choices. They're like, they're going like, okay, mo- the person who's most likely to watch this is someone who's at least played Mass Effect 2, which means you're likely to have played Mass Effect 1. And um, so all this information from these revelations, they get recorded on this bracelet, which Tria gets. And uh, Mesner, being a Cerberus racist dickhead, he tries to bargain with the collectors. And they're just like, hey, guess what we're going to do? We're going to turn you into soup. And he's like, oh, I don't want that shit. Um, he's like that wasn't part of the plan they're like no we're bug people what can you puny humans do to us I think Mesner probably to be fair was was sent to die by his own employers I don't think his employers were expecting Mesner to survive I think he was just he's he's a lackey yeah he's like a middleman type like he was just like ah if he dies he dies it's not it's not a big deal for whoever he was working for yeah I think it would have been one of those things that like had he made it out well um probably would have been killed too he would have been killed at some point. They would have done that thing where, like, your job here is done, and then they would have shot him in, like, by a river, and his body would, like, sink to the bottom. Yeah, so, so um, yeah, Vega and Essex, uh, they get into a big fight with the Collectors, and Essex gets a big goddamn hero moment. Uh, I thought that was, the, like, the Essex final fight was, like, the best animated sequence. Again, I like the biotic force powers. I think all that shit is cool. Once his, you know, once he lost his final stand, I was cheering. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, they tried to have some sort of redemption arc for him. I don't think it really paid off, but but it's, it is a well-animated fight. Like, it is an int- visually interesting. I just kind of wish they picked a different character. To get all the cool fight. powers? Yeah, than, like, the, the fucking asshole. Why couldn't Nikki have been, like, a, a nervous biotic who, who then discovers his own power? That would have been cool. See, that, right, see that's the, I think that's what this whole kind of movie suffers from, is that, like... Like all these choices are so safe, and it's like, oh, if you just like tweaked it or swapped like different things out, like you would have had a way more interesting and memorable film. And instead, this is just sort of, yeah, very, you know, it is digestible, but it's going to be very forgettable. Like, this is something that, like, I don't think I'm going to remember the details of what we watched in like a month from now. Maybe not even a day or two sometimes. Uh, Yeah, maybe like. Yeah, like I can definitely see in the future, maybe I'm calling myself out in the future, that like if we talk about this, I might be like, I don't even remember that we I watched this. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, a huge moment of honesty for me. Uh, <laughs> so so Vega Vega gets into a big fight with Mesner. Uh, he, Mesner gets uh, killed, of course. Uh, fuck that guy. And then Vega is left with one final choice. He has to evacuate the colon- co- colonists on a now pilotless ship or he could save Tria and the Collector Intel. I thought Vega was gonna go for go for the colonists, but uh, no, he he picks Tria, he picks love and love and Intel. And this is like the ending is like really again we talked about this. It's kind of bold because we get this whole thing of like Vega being commended by Anderson and Hackett, but man, he he doesn't feel so good, man. And well, we see we him go to, to like the uh, crash site basically. Well, we cut to the uh call it uh yeah we cut to like after this this, like he's faced with this decision we cut to like the commanding officer and they're like thank you for making your decision like you made the right call and they're very vague about it and then all of a sudden uh that's when we start piecing together oh no yeah like you said he picked uh tria and the intel 
and that the intel is going to probably... And it is, like, they justify it being the right call, which is that, like, yeah, these civilians uh, died, but, you know, they're going to save millions of more because now you have this right intel and you have also someone who knows how to interact with these artifacts. Um, you saved her. Like, that's infinitely more valuable for the grand scheme, but obviously the personal price to pay to make that decision is that you know a lot of these people died and like what i thought was like so bold and like it was probably the most memorable part of the movie and the the fact that the movie had this the balls to do this was that you know you see that decision and usually that movie ends around that point where you go like thank you and then he kind of like just sulks off and like cries about what happened no 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 they show the uh all the colonists dying they show the explosion Like this, it's graphic. Like people are you know, crushed to death. There's like we cut back to this girl and her mom, and the girl's crying, and they're like the mom realizes that no one's gonna go save them, and yeah, you watch them die, and you're like, holy shit, holy shit! Like that's you know that's like this because before that moment, my like thought on this whole this movie was like this was terrible. This might have been the worst thing we've covered like it just like in terms of it's the least interesting it's like it's just like super safe like it's like this was like mobile suit gangdom like whatever the hell we watched um yeah then like it was like at that level of just being bad but then this like moment like took it up a notch i mean it's still in the bottom tier of like if we were doing a youtube tier list it's still on the bottom tier like on the bottom half of the tiers for what we've covered so far but like Man, that ending, like, holy crap. It hit yeah. me in the feels. It did, and it's animated beautifully. We get, like, you know, we get to see Vega, and he's he's kind of running towards the wreckage, and it goes into the, like this kind of, like, artsy, like, kind of, like, psychedelic thing of him just, like, tr- kind of running, and he can't... I, I'm explaining it poorly, but you know what I mean. It's, like, this kind of weird psychedelic running montage thing of him just, like, he can't even breathe. He's kind of... He, you see his, like, emotional state, basically. We They cut it between him um, moving... Like, him at, the, like, the memorial, crying with Tria, kind of comforting him. And this is, like, the first acknowledgement. Like, before, there's, like... There's been these, like, passing glances, and she's like, don't touch me. But, like, this time around, she touches him, and, like, they have, like, a moment of connection. You know, and she feels immense amount of guilt. Like, why did you save me over all these people? But it's, like, at the same time, they both have this shared understanding that, like, they most likely made the right decision for, like, the greater good. Yeah, man. it's It was it was an ending I wasn't expecting. And, um, yeah, it, it gave me understand as someone who's played Mass Effect 3, I'm like, oh shit, now I understand where Vega is coming from. So I'm like, shit, now I like Vega a lot more. Yeah, like I watched this movie on so this the this whole movie was just uploaded to YouTube. That's where I watched it's crazy this movie. So I read a couple of the comments that were down below on it. And they, and that made me like the fact that this has been uploaded to YouTube and no one's like done like a strike to take it down is it kind of shows you where like the thought process of like how important paragon lost is uh like on the like mass effect importance tier but the comments that i did read on the like the youtube link that i at least watched like had a lot of what you just said where it's just like oh they ex- that just explains so much about vegas motivations and like uh and also apparently they do reference the events of this movie in the game 
Yeah, um, it, it's growing like when you have like a backstory talk with Vega. But of course, now I actually understand what they're talking about because he's kind of just as like, oh, yeah, I had to make a tough choice or something. But now you're like, oh, shit, no, that choice was fucking tough. Yeah. And I also think it plays, plays into that, like the part of Mass Effect that is, you know, the the reason why you play Mass Effect, which is like, you know, it, you know, the movie or like the game puts you in positions where you have to make very tough, almost impossible choices. And I like that this movie did the same thing although you didn't obviously have a decision like you couldn't affect the decision like at least you know they did showcase that narrative that, that's a very good way of putting it and yeah it, this this movie again before the ending i was like okay this is this is a whatever movie i, I think i liked it more in the the third act where it tied in more to the game and stuff with the revelations but you know this movie definitely has a shared flaws most of the characters are pretty generic like we said we wanted to see more aliens because Mass Effect has cool aliens. I wanted to see the Turians and the Salarians, and I wanted to see characters kind of, you know, bounce between them. Again, the whole fun of Mass Effect is the fact that the alien races are so interesting because they have these different factions and like different connections. Like one one race, like one race called the Salarians made the Krogan people sterile. Yeah, like this is, I think the endings uh, drags it up to a C. Like, you know, this is essentially Mass Effect, Sophie's Choice. But, um, <laughs> You know, but if without that ending, like this would have been like a D, but like I will give it a, I think a C is a fair, fair grade for what this is. It's just, it's played super safe for the most part. You know, I wonder if like the script was rushed, like if they were just like, we got to get something out for the most part. Like Freddie Prince Jr. is great uh, in his voice uh, acting role here too. Like, I just want to give him another shout out. Like he's, he's very good. All right. So um, let's. Let's do this. I think we can talk about our favorite uh, segment. Let's talk about the Speedwagon. Speedwagon, 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 Speedwagon. Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. You know, I'm going to be honest, like, I mean, I think I, I mentioned it earlier, Mesner initially, I thought it was going to be the Speedwagon. You know, this movie doesn't really have a Speedwagon. Um, I think the closest Speedwagon you can make an argument for, in my mind, is Nicky. And I feel like that has a lot to do with his glasses. And, it, and that's like not a very good reason to have a speed wagon. And like the And that's what pains me is that this is like a man on a mission genre like not it doesn't have to just be men but like you know classically you know the the of war as a film genre men on a mission is you know classic subgenre of it and a lot of the, in those movies a lot of them have very distinct standout characters and so it's disappointing that this you know this movie doesn't have that so i'm gonna i'll give it to nikki but i'm sort of giving him like i'm not giving him the gold star i'm kind of giving him a bronze star just for like just being likable enough that like, and memorable enough that like, oh, that his death was probably the most sad that I was for any of the squad members outside of maybe Camille. I'm going to give it to Brood, Brood the Krogan. I wish, I wish more was done with Brood, but again, I did like, I was worried the film was going to be racist towards Krogan by um not making any of them good. So I was happy about that. I wasn't happy by the fact that he got like taken out like point blank by a, a space racist because I think Krogan could survive a lot more than that shit. 
But no, I, I liked Brood. I liked how he was like, listen, man, I'm an honorable dude. You rescued me, so I'll, I'll rescue you. But yeah, this this is a movie where like there, there could have been some really good speed wagons. Camille could have been a speed wagon, but uh, she gets got really quickly. And that's a real bummer. And uh, Milk survives. And Milk is also the most milk toast character in the thing. I think this movie, man, it's 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 a disappointing speed wagons, uh, disappointing speed wagons all around. All like right. In the games, at least there's a ton of speed wagons. There's almost too many speed Oh my god, I mean, the Mass Effect is known for its party members and side characters and listen, I'm I'm glad this gave me a gave me a love for James Vega. Maybe James Vega could become my speedwagon in Mass Effect 3. Probably not, sorry for Apex Jr. Um he redeems himself with the Iron Bull who's definitely a speedwagon in Dragon Age Inquisition. So, I think final thoughts. I guess we already kind of said them. I think this is a this is a D plus C minus movie risen risen to a C by a pretty good ending. Yeah, I I call this a dud for the most part. Uh great ending, but a dud otherwise. All right, and uh as always, we are this this is not the end of is this anime. We still have we still have many more animes to cover. And and thank you dear listener. We we've been really enjoying our subscriber growth. I don't think we we thank you enough because again, we've recorded these so far in advance and now we've really seen this community blossom. Um comment on our social media. I want to know who you guys are and stuff just because like we 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 love you, listener. Um, you're you're doing a great job. Thank you for listening as always. But we have a new show uh, to cover next week, and that show will be the the famous Lupin the Third series. And we're gonna cover Lupin the Third Part Four, the Italian Adventure, and we're gonna cover episodes one, three, ten, and fourteen. We're we're doing four, but they're really good ones. Um, Lupin the Lupin the Third is a really classic franchise. It's been around since the 60s. Uh, Malcolm, do you know anything? Do you have any reference to Lupin the Third? I don't know Lupin the Third in this context, but I did watch the first episode of the new Lupin Netflix show. Was it? Uh, and it's pretty good. Like it's okay. it's, uh, it's French. It stars um, Jackie Ido. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He was in Inglorious Bastards. Uh, he's excellent so far. And uh, I like the world, and um, I really like The Great Pretender, for those who've listened to that episode. And I'm excited to go back into this kind of world of crime meets anime. So, Yeah, and, and Lupin's a classic series, as, as we'll get into with the history segment uh, next week. There's just a lot of it. It's, it's a series, and it was tough for me to even pick a Lupin series to kind of be the definitive take cover. But uh, I'm really satisfied with these four episodes. So uh, we hope you tune in. Anyways. You can follow me on Twitter at OnlyRealJackM and uh, Jack is Jack on Instagram. My Instagram is very positive. My uh, my Twitter is very um, snarky and angry, and I just dunk on conservatives a lot. Apologies to our conservative listeners. Do not follow me if you don't want to see me do that. I like to tell yeah. Ben Shapiro to fuck off. Yeah, well, he, you know, with Ben Shapiro, you know, all he does is he dunks on college kids who just learned who Marx was so that's not that impressive when you actually define all of his like college live gets fucking wrecked and you're like yeah because that's an 18 year old and you're almost 40 and you say you went to heart so like <laughs> you know like and like at times now i kind of um that like oh, is harvard degree that worth it like you know you had george w bush was there and he doesn't seem like the smartest guy um a lot of legacy people now nothing not to shit on but uh, it's just a brand name. 
it's like the Nike of universities. Uh, Anyways, I wish, I wish I had Harvard money. Anyways, follow us on uh, at is this anime pod on both Twitter and Insta. Our handles are universal, thankfully. Um, yeah, comment on our staff. We definitely yeah. want to get get to know you folks in in the positive context, of course, not in the creepy Vic Mignogna Essex way. And Thank you, you for listening. Yeah, and also you can follow me at uh, Malcolm R J McLeod on Instagram. I'm not really on Twitter or any other social media platforms. Uh, and yeah, or you can follow me at uh, Clubhouse uh, if that's still what is Clubhouse. But, I don't know what Clubhouse is. Everyone's talking about it now. It's a it's it's a conversation app where you can go and listen to different conversations. Recently, I went into a room where Dead Mouse and Tom Green were talking, and that was very trippy, because that's not a conversation between two people. Those are not two people you think are going to be having any kind of conversations, but they're both Canadians, so, uh, and we're Canadian as well. Anyways, uh, leave us a review, uh, whether it's on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you find podcasts. Uh, if you, you know, tell your friends about us, if you've, you know, just recently discovered the podcast, word of mouth is uh, the best way to for us to grow the podcast. And uh, we really like that. Uh, even uh, listening, engaging. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll see you next time. And long live Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> <laughs>